So, you've got an idea for a business. The store of your dreams. There's just one thing to figure out. Everything. That's why Shopify's all-in-one commerce platform makes it easy to sell online, in person, and everywhere else. Sell on social media. Source products with an app to get that first sale feeling. It's the only solution that gives you everything you need to sell everywhere you want. So when you're ready to bring your idea to life, power it up with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash listen. Before we start, a very quick program note. This episode is part of a much longer series. To be sure you get the whole story, we recommend that you jump back and start from episode one. Also, we want to invite any of our thousands of listeners who still use Facebook to join our friendly show group, which currently only has a couple of hundred fun-loving folks. Just search for the show's name. Finally, whether you do social media or not, please do drop us a line to tell us what you like or hate on the show at theparanoidstrain, that's all one word, at gmail.com. One more brief note. We checked in with Santa, and he pronounced us to be good conspiracy theory podcasters. So as a special present, he's giving us one episode off. What does this mean for you? Just don't expect to hear from us again this year. We'll return to our regularly scheduled episodes in mid-January. But don't be sad. We're spending this extra time working on the most ambitious project we've ever executed, which we hope to roll out to you in the first few months of 2023. Whatever holidays you celebrate, please have a wonderful time with your family and friends, and from the bottom of our hearts, thank you for listening. Okay, let's get going. Paranoid Strain Orchestra, hit it. Nathan and Snedeker note that, in a sense, a whole industry grew up around promoting the idea that widespread ritual abuse was happening all across the U.S., bringing together strange bedfellows, including researchers, fundamentalist Christians, anti-pornography activists, feminists, and, of course, the media. And, as always, once fighting this imaginary menace became a source of income for some people, those professional anti-Satanists became a vocal advocacy group for the continuation of the public mania. Back in 1985, as the McMartin trial was brewing, news reports were breathless and didn't seem particularly interested in performing the kind of skeptical due diligence that Debbie Nathan was pursuing in her reporting for The Village Voice a year or so later. On the other hand, this 2020 reporter is confronted with the fact that responsible-seeming parents and even children claiming to be eyewitnesses or participants in these crimes are confirming that they indeed happened and that Satan was a big part of it. Police have found no proof made no arrest. But that's no surprise. For nationwide, police are hearing strikingly similar horror stories, and not one has ever been proved. Take, for example, this case, the mother of a young victim who asked not to be identified. Usually they have the children kill the infants or the other kids. The children who were there actually right. were, what, were given knives? Yes, they were. And if they refused to do it, an adult, usually the child's father or mother would actually take the child's hand and make them kill the child. There's also this similar case that links child sex abuse with murder. The children were given, um, were given knives and told to go and stab those bodies. And this case now under police investigation involving young boys describing murder. Tell me what you were asked to do. I was asked to stab him. To stab him. And this was in front of the other people who were there? Uh, were you given a knife? Yes. 
happen to you if you didn't? Mm-hmm. Uh, do you remember what they said? This will happen to you. So, you either stab him or you'll be stabbed was about what it came down to. And listening to these accounts, you can understand why people believed them at the time. Justin Sledge concurs. I tell people, watch some of the people that they brought on some of these daytime talk shows in the 80s. You can watch them on YouTube and they tell very convincing stories. And we know that these memories can be implanted by psychiatrists. I have every reason to believe that they believed that they were victims of this kind of abuse. When you believe that you were the victim of this kind of abuse and you get on national television and tell millions of people that it happened, well, I think for most people, they would ask the natural question, why in God's name would they lie about this? Who's going to get on national television and talk about how they were forced to cook a baby or something for the devil? I don't know. The appearance of ritual abuse victims on daytime talk shows was ubiquitous and for fairly understandable reasons. Their stories were compelling, the details were lurid beyond all belief, and they obviously got ratings. The producers could probably even sleep well at night, thinking they were part of the solution, getting the word out about a secret threat to all the nation's children. Debbie Nathan also notes that the extreme hunger of daytime and tabloid news shows for interviews with these victims had the probably unintended consequence of dragging our old pal anti-Semitism into this modern iteration of the child sacrifice phenomenon as well. The cases that I looked at, very occasionally you would run across some anti-Semitism. For example, I think it was in Minneapolis that were posters that were put up on some telephone poles, you know, accusing Jews of doing this. And then when the recovered memory therapy phenomenon got really big in the early 90s, which is connected with the daycare stuff in the sense that a lot of mainly adult women were going to therapy for things like depression or for bulimia or whatever, started remembering in therapy. They started remembering or so-called recovering memories of having been abused in satanic rituals. And there were some Jewish women who went on TV, like on Oprah, and started talking about how their families had been, I think the phrase was transgenerational satanic abusers, which is pretty dangerous because Jews starting in the Middle Ages were accused of killing Christian children in order to bleed them and use the blood to make matzah for Passover. And that led to pogroms or like these mass attacks on Jews that actually went all the way up until the early 20th century. I found some very nascent ones that were nipped in the bud in the United States, actually around 1919, among immigrant Poles accusing Jews of this. So this is a very old motif, and it's been very dangerous for Jews, and you started to see that a little bit with the daycare stuff, not too much, but then it sort of started to come out with the recovered memory people. There was this story that was told by a very prominent hypnotherapist, and he told the story at a conference, and it, and it just went rampant, which was that there was a teenage Jewish boy who was in Auschwitz or somewhere, some concentration camp, and was recruited by the Nazis to satanically abuse people, you know, because the Nazis were Satanists. In other words, it was like this really, really reticulated satanic ritual abuse theory with Nazis and concentration camps and Jews. And this guy's name was Dr. Greenbaum. They sent him to medical school or something. And then he implanted these suggestions while torturing people. I mean, it just went on and on, but his name was always Greenbaum. And that was presented at a prestigious conference. You can still listen to the tape, right? We tracked down that appearance by the Jewish woman who talked about transgenerational abuse. Turns out it was an episode of The Oprah Show and not one that O probably wants on her highlight reel. My next guest was used also in worshipping the devil, participated in human sacrifice rituals, rituals and cannibalism. She says her family has been involved in rituals for generations. 
Rachel, who is also in disguise to protect her identity. You come from generations of ritualistic uh, abuse? Um, yes, my family has an extensive family tree, and they keep track of who's been involved and who hasn't been involved. And it's gone back to, like, 1700. Yeah. I was born into a family that believes in this. Does everyone else think it's a nice Jewish family? Definitely. And you all are worshipping the devil inside the home? Right. There's other Jewish families across the country. It's not just my own family. Really? So okay. what kinds of things? You don't have to give us the gory details, but what kinds of things went on in the family? Um, well, there would be rituals in which babies would be sacrificed and you would have to, you know... Who's babies? Um, there were people who um, bred babies in our family. No one would know about it. A lot of people were overweight, so you couldn't tell if they were pregnant or not. Or they would supposedly go away for a while and then come back. Mm -hmm. The other thing I want to point out, not all Jewish people sacrifice babies. I mean, that's no, no. not a very I think we kind of thing. I heard of any Jewish people sacrificing babies. But anyway, so... Yeesh. Was it Oprah? Was it the first time you ever heard of Jewish people sacrificing babies? You didn't have any qualms about just airing this segment with no further analysis? No concern whatsoever that you're letting this poor deluded woman play into the hands of the worst anti-Semitic fantasies? Yeah, you witnessed the sacrifice. Right. Um, when I was very young, I was forced to participate in that, in which I had to sacrifice an infant. And the, the purpose of sacrifice is to what? Is to bring you what? What are you sacrificing for? For power. And what's your mother doing in all of this? What's her role in all of this? What is, I'm not exactly what her role is. I haven't, you know, recovered all of my memories, but her family was extremely involved. Both of my parents brought me to it. And where is she now? She lives in the Chicago metropolitan area. She's on the Human Relations Commission of the town that she lives in. And she's an outstanding citizen. To the outside world, everything we did was proper and right. And then there were the nights that things changed. And what do you know, it wasn't just anti-Jewish racism that played into these panics, but also a more generic racism. And while we're at it, homophobia. Oh, joy. So this is one of the interesting things to watch how the panic notions develop. And I think two of the notions that develop, which are conspicuous, is that at some point during the panic, it was particularly blonde-haired, blue-eyed girls that were going to be targeted by the Satanists. And this really gets picked up and really gets run with. The way the legend would always work is they're going to be kidnapped and then sacrificed on Halloween. Again, this is also playing into the rise of stranger danger and that kind of stuff that developed in the, in the 80s as well. So you get this like weird racialized element where Aryan, young girls, blonde hair, blue-eyed, all-American, there's an idea that somehow they're coming after the pinnacle of apex Caucasian people. I don't know what the right term for it would be. It's one thing for them to attack whatever kinds of kids, but if they come after the blonde hair, blue eye ones, really, it's, you know, it's attack on European purity at its heart. You know, it's a curious way of framing it. You never hear about the Hispanic panic being a thing that, like, they're going to get African-American kids, Hispanic kids or whatever. That, you know, they're going to get the immigrant kids, which, you know, immigrant people are the most likely to be actually victims of human trafficking. It's really about what people are scared of, and what they're scared of is, you know, blonde hair, blue eye girls getting assaulted. The other element, of course, is this is particular in the Midwest. I think it first develops in Ohio, where not only are all these people satanic, pedophile, murderer people, but they're all gay, which has never quite squared with the fact that they're allegedly like kidnapping blonde haired, blue eyed girls. The legends just don't line up in a good way, but thinking is never a prerequisite for any of this. But anyway, there's a couple cases in Ohio and I think in Michigan where 
the sheriff actually announced that not only are there a thousand professional Satanists operating in Ohio or whatever, but the majority of them are homosexual men. And again, we have to put this in the context of the mid to late 80s, where a very real conspiracy of silence, that is to say the institutional homophobia that was allowing the AIDS epidemic to rage basically unchecked. This is a situation where just being gay was horrifyingly difficult back then. And that could set you up to be a victim of the panic, because if you're gay guy in Ohio, you might be one of the leaders of these satanic covens or whatever. It just shows you how overdetermined so much of this is. This also dovetailed with the idea that people were putting stuff in candy and poisoning people. The Tylenol scare, which did in fact happen. This is the idea that people are putting razor blades in apples or candy or something like this. People forget that this was just what was in the air in the mid to late 80s. This is also the time period, right? If you look at big population centers like New York City, New York City was a very terrifying place to be in the 1980s. Many big cities were pretty terrifying places to be. Detroit was just like Mad Max in a lot of ways. It was really, really rough. And again, when you have this kind of societal breakdown, someone's to blame. Someone's to blame. And, you know, when there's fascists in power, it's almost always the immigrants or the Jews or something. But when it's the sort of rise of this moral majority, the answer is going to be it's the Satanists. They're trying to take down America. You know, that dovetails with the kind of Christian nationalism that would arise in the late 80s with people like Pat Robinson and people like that. And of course, have come roaring back with the QAnon cult, I suppose. And again, all of this was turbocharged by the media, especially the most notorious of all of the many, many salacious, voyeuristic, bottom feeding, supposedly news based programs of the era. Specifically, this doozy of a primetime report from 1988. Fun game. See if you can guess who the scurrilous, ethically challenged reporter is before the announcer tells you. Why? Via satellite, we'll be asking the youngest person on Oklahoma's death row, just 17 when he killed in the name of Satan, why he murdered his own parents. And to Southern California, where we will ask the parents of children in the notorious McMartin Preschool why they claim their kids were satanically abused. And to London, where rock star Ozzy Osbourne will tell us why he feels he and heavy metal music are getting a bum rap. And to the state penitentiary in Angola, Louisiana, to ask convicted killer Charles Gervais why he thought the devil would award him 10,000 souls. The Investigative News Group presents the Geraldo Rivera Special. Devil Worship. Exposing Satan's Underground. The show starts off in the realm of at least the plausible, detailing a small number of murders committed by teenagers where occult or satanic motivations were certainly a factor. But then it promptly steers into the ditch when it returns to the studio. Is it the church's position that demonic possession is possible? It certainly is. There have been many cases down through the centuries Many in, in our own uh, decade, for example, of where the devil has actually possessed people and caused them to do many strange things. So you believe it's possible? It's, I believe not only is it possible, it is a reality in some very select amount of cases. Let's go to, to London for a quick in, uh, exchange with Ozzy Osbourne. Ozzy, I'm, I'm glad you're on the program. I'll interview in greater detail in a couple of minutes. The one thing I have to ask you now, though, is... Of course, the vast majority of your fans and the fans of heavy metal music are not Satanists. But every single kid whose case we know about, who committed a violent act in Satan's name, was also into heavy metal music. What's your response to that, Oz? 
Well, I don't really know. All I all I do is um, make music. You know, I don't I don't I don't sit down and purposely plan to freak everybody out. I mean, okay. I so the Ozman is probably not the most eloquent spokesperson to educate Geraldo on the correlation causation mistake he's making. But honestly, does anyone not think Geraldo knows that, of course, kids who think they're killing for Satan will also be fans of the music with the most blatant satanic imagery, but that the metal doesn't cause the murders? The really greasy, cynical, manipulative stuff in this special comes in the form of certain clearly deliberate juxtapositions. For example, Geraldo looks into the presumed problem of people with odd religious beliefs belonging to the U.S. military. But, of course, after the lip service is paid to religious freedom, it becomes another opportunity to terrify middle America. In our investigation, we discovered that some of Satan's soldiers are also high-ranking officers in the United States military. Here at San Francisco's Presidio Army Base, for example, Lieutenant Colonel Michael Aquino led a double life as a satanic high priest, and his phone answering machine boasts of his affiliation. This is the Temple of Set. The temple is the only international satanic religious institution fully recognized by the United States government. Indeed, the army does officially recognize Satanism as a legitimate religion and supplies chaplains with this guide for ministering to the satanic soldier. Unofficially, some charge that army bases have become sanctuaries for devil worshippers. Just last month, under a full moon, I took a midnight tour of the Presidio grounds they had uh, satanic rituals going on. There's an altar in there, and all of the graffiti on the wall would indicate that. Let's see if I can see it. I can see a pentagram painted on the wall. I can see the words Prince of Darkness. On this wall, I see several inverted crosses and other obvious uh, satanic ritualistic paintings or symbols. Joseph, we've agreed to conceal your identity, but you are an officer in the United States Army. That's correct. And you were an officer in the United States Army during the time you were a member of this satanic organization. Yes. Did the authorities at the Presidio know that a satanic organization was active on their base during the time that you were a member? They were very much aware of it, yes. The present base commander, Colonel Rafferty, says that today at least... I know of no satanic activities whatsoever in this area. But that's not nearly as bad as this seamless segue. Satanism may be a constitutionally protected religion, but similar to another recent case at the United States Military Academy at West Point, here charges surface connecting ritual child abuse at the Presidio Daycare Center to the devil cult. It was here, parents and others allege, that as many as 60 young children were ritualistically abused by soldiers of Satan. Obviously, what follows is yet another tale of daycare-based satanic sexual abuse, which we don't need to go into here because it's so similar to the McMartin and other cases we're covering. But how fucking scummy was that? It's like a negative political ad, but far, far worse. These soldiers are supposed to protect our country. But how can they do that if they believe in a religion that creeps other people out? We have no evidence that these are anything but loyal servicemen and women. But what aren't they telling us? Plus, there was an unsubstantiated child abuse scandal we've tied to an imaginary form of Satanism. So why don't you make the horrible, unwarranted connections to these soldiers yourself? What? Oh, we're not saying. We're just saying. We're going to leave this special at this point, but it is worth noting that Geraldo scored an interview with the clearly distraught parents of the then still very much active McMartin trial, 
And it's also clear that, no matter how much they may inadvertently have driven the panic, these are people who have been horribly damaged by this experience. Let's go now to the McMartin preschool parents who have gathered for us in Los Angeles. You recall that case, notorious case. I must state for the record, however, that the charges against most of the defendants have been dropped. Charges are still pending against two of them, however. We know that the parents and the children allege child abuse. What is much less known is that they say it was ritual abuse as part of a satanic cult. Please tell us why you believe this was abuse as part of a satanic cult. Well, the easiest reason to that question, Geraldo, is the fact when the children started talking, they started talking about robes and candles. You could see that it had to be satanic. It's very important in satanic religions to have a priest because they truly do believe in power. The truth about Satanism is they truly do use blood and they mix it with urine and then they also use the real meat, the real flesh. This is what makes Satanism true and this is what 1,000 200 molested kids in the city of Manhattan Beach have told the Sheriff's Department and it's an outrage that we are where we are with this case and these poor unprotected kids that have, uh, that's a third of the school system in the city of Manhattan Beach has been molested. We have eight preschools closed here. This is the child molestation capital of the world. We have more preschools closed in this city than any city this side of Detroit and I'm not picking on Detroit. While we're on the topic, we were wondering why exactly daycares ended up being such a nexus for these sorts of stories. All of a sudden, there's these allegations coming down the pipe of people going into daycare centers or, you know, neighborhoods, satanic conspiracies of outsiders. Anytime you have accusations of outsiders doing this to children, particularly during this period that we're talking about, the 70s, early 80s, People were still very uncomfortable about not having their sister or their mom take care of their kid if they had to go out to work. And women weren't even supposed to go out to work. Like white middle class women, it was still very frowned upon. You could look in all the women's magazines in the early 80s and it's like, if you go to work and you put your child in a daycare center, studies have shown that your children will be psychologically damaged and they might be that way forever. And women leaving the home and going out into the world. And making money was still a taboo back then for, I'm going to say white women, because we all know that there were people of color who were out there working for, you know, centuries, right? But this was a huge shift that was going on among middle class and upper middle class white women during this period. And so to be able to find another reason to criticize public childcare, I think, was very culturally attractive. It's hard to pin particular people to blame this on. It was too culture-wide. So, shows like the aforementioned were clearly designed to terrify and titillate, and they clearly worked as the panic stretched out for more than a decade. But having lived through it as a journalist and skeptic fighting the tide of public opinion, Debbie Nathan wants all of us, yours truly included, to understand, if we had been around at the time, we probably would have believed this too. I have to say that I can guarantee you that back in 1988, if you'd been around and you'd known me, you would have thought that. I was a total asshole and not a friend to children. You would believe this is what I'm saying. The difference between what I was looking at and what's going on now is that it was completely across the cultural, political, and economic spectrum, this conspiracy theory. And now it's confined to a certain segment of the population that feels very polarized from the other segment. So it was much worse back then in a certain way. And I've seen this when I presented the book, that a lot of younger people now, let's say people in their 30s or early 40s, 
they just think this is crazy. I mean, people have laughed and giggled when I've talked about this when I presented like the last few years, and they just think this is just Yahoo crazy stuff. But I can tell you that when this was going on, everyone believed it. Every single person was very rare to find anyone who evinced any any uh, skepticism. Okay, all of that has been mortifying, and we're about to cover several more terrible aspects of this story, so I now want to cash in on that other ridiculous, silly, satanic panic-related thing that I mentioned I was holding in reserve. Let's do a palate cleanser with a brief foray into perhaps the greatest, most sincere, most Steve Buscemi, how-do-you-do-fellow-kids meme-appropriate video we've ever seen. Hell's Bells, The Dangers of Rock and Roll. First released in 1989, this is an absolute classic of the found footage VHS genre and is freely available on YouTube to watch in its full three-plus-hour glory. Along with its sequel, 2004's six-and-a-half-hour-long Hellbells 2, The Toll Continues. Yes, before you ask, I have watched all nine-plus hours more than once. I have a problem. The man responsible is one Eric Holmberg, founder of Real to Real Ministries, that's R-E-E-L to R-E-A-L. It's very clever. A man sporting a mullet and mustache combination that tells you he understands your youthful rebellion, young people, and he's here to show you a better way. One of the most underestimated influences on young people today is the music industry. Studies show that between the 7th and 12th grades, the average teenager will listen to and watch 11,000 hours of rock music and rock videos, more than twice the time they will spend in class. As Dr. Alan Bloom noted in his best-selling book, The Closing of the American Mind, nothing is more singular about this generation than its addiction to music. Incredibly, despite this unprecedented power, and the mounting evidence that rock's influence can be less than positive, most people have never stopped to consider what is really going on in and through contemporary music. Why is music so powerful? How does it affect us? What is its source? And to where is it leading us? If you're guessing the answer to where the music is leading us is nowhere good, give yourself a star. Vladimir Lenin, the co-founder of communism, and one of history's greatest experts on subversion and revolution said, one quick way to destroy a society is through its music. I don't want to shock you, but in fact, Lenin never said that. I know, I'm as surprised as you are. It seemed up until this point like this dude had a real grip on the facts. He even gives you do-it-yourself science projects like these. Given the materialistic philosophy that marks this present age, it's surprising that more attention has not been given to the many profound ways sound and different musical forms can affect the physical world. For example, research has found that shrill sounds of sufficient volume can congeal proteins in a liquid media. So a soft egg placed in front of a speaker at some of the louder rock concerts can midway through the concert become a hard-boiled snack for the weary headbanger. Does anybody have any salt here? 
moving from proteins to animate objects, repeated experiments have shown that plants respond positively to classical forms of music, actually growing and flowering faster than if there was no music at all. Conversely, more dissonant forms of music, like heavy metal, can actually retard growth and even kill the plant. Of course, humans are much more complex than plants, but it still makes one wonder what this type of music might be doing to us. You're going to be shocked to learn that the egg thing is bullshit of the purest Ray Serene. Just total nonsense that he obviously never bothered to check. The second bit about plants growing better to classical music is more interesting. There's no definitive experiment in this because scientists have better things to do, but the Mythbusters did do a fairly controlled experiment that tentatively indicated sound might help plants grow, but it's any kind of sound. In fact, the plants exposed to classical didn't grow quite as robustly as did those exposed to death metal. Sorry, youth pastor Holmberg. But it's not all eggs and pretty flowers with this guy. He's mostly interested in keeping you from being swept up in Satan's great musical net. So, of course, he eventually brings things around to the then-ongoing Satanic Panic. Remember, though, that as an eternal spirit, Satan's focus is on eternity. His primary goal is to take you to hell with him. If Satan can get you to kill for him, great. That's icing on the cake. The cake, though, is to keep you away from the one who can save you from hell. To make you think that following Jesus is stupid, wimpy, or irrelevant. That real life is found in fun and doing whatever feels good. And what other art form is preaching this message with greater urgency and power than much of rock and roll? Now, some would say, so what? It's all just in fun. Nobody is supposed to take the message seriously. Well, that sentiment completely ignores both the nature of man and the power of music. It keeps getting worse for the unsuspecting rock music addicts. Turns out, music had recently taken a turn toward the unabashed worship of Lucifer himself. Like an invisible cancer that inevitably leads to death, so the satanic seed in rock and roll has culminated in a blatant obsession with the occult. Cryptic allusions to the devil and the music of blues artist Robert Johnson a generation ago have given place to an open worship of Satan and hell that comes complete with the symbols, liturgies, rituals, and messianic personalities that attend any religious order. No longer the stuff of small underground cults, millions of young people have been caught in its evil sway. Beginning with the symbols associated with satanic religion, there is none more foundational than the pentagram, the five-sided star that is central to occult ritual. Next to the desecrated cross, there is also no other symbol more common to the rock music industry. Motley Crue, Slayer, Bebop Deluxe, Venom, Sam Kennison, Suicidal Tendencies, and ACDC are just a few examples where the satanic symbol is used. This guy never considers the completely reasonable possibility that these outlaws create the music and images they do specifically to freak out squares like him. Does anyone think Nikki Six did any deep reading into the occult before writing Shout at the Devil? Or, and I know this is a real stretch, did he just notice that teens think sexy leather chicks with flames and devil horns are cool and therefore generated a product to meet that market demand. I mean, has Holmberg never met a teenager? 
Shock without substance is pretty much their whole goddamned raison d'etre, and that has been the case for thousands, probably hundreds of thousands of years. The emergence of the waltz was enough to send polite society into a tizzy. The very existence of novels was going to rot the minds of young women who were their first consumers. Famously, Plato bemoaned the entitlement and unseriousness of the youth of his day, and no doubt Thog was horrified when his 16-year-old daughter Thogina came home to the cave having dyed her lips with red berries instead of purple berries before the winter festival in defiance of the clear ancestral dictates of the rock god Norsiglok. Before we get back to the gross stuff, we do want to mention that Mr. Holmberg, at the very end of his documentary, does offer us a taste of the sort of music that he and Jesus would appreciate it if the young people of today would listen to instead. God to teach us a new dance, a new way of living our lives. All creation moves in a cosmic dance before the Lord, her King. And the rhythms, the reason, the rhyme of the dance pulses within everything. And the universe wheels and whirls like a dervish in perfect seven-step time. The Lord made the dance, He taught her the steps, he causes the songs to shine We must dance, dance, dance Dancing God's honor We must yield all our steps Unto the King There's only one little problem This sucks more than anything that I've ever sucked before Yes, we know we already went to this well, but it was too good to pass up. <laughs> 